And this is, I'm gonna start with a story that you may have known. I know I've mentioned it years ago, but, um, but you may know this story, but it's so germane to today that I thought I would raise it again. This is a picture of Ruby Bridges. When Ruby Bridges was six years old in 1960, when she was six years old, she took a test at school. And it was a test that she had, um, it wasn't a common test, it was a test that was given to all of the students in the segregated black school to determine whether or not she, they would be capable of going to the white school at the beginning of the integration of schools. Ruby passed that test. There were to be five black children who were to go into white schools at the beginning of segregation in New Orleans where Ruby lived. And by intimidation and uh, other reasons, other fears, most, well, all of the students who were set to integrate um, canceled out. And so Ruby went alone to her elementary school. Again, that was in 1960. Her father was very concerned about it, but her mother wanted the advantages for Ruby that um, children in the all-white schools had because they were so much better funded schools. And she knew that this was a kind of crossroads in American history, and she wanted this for all black children in the South. And so Ruby started her way to school. And what she faced was intense adversity. She had federal marshals walk her to school every day to ensure her safety. She ultimately wound up having members of the black community surround and walk with her. There were threats of poisoning the food and so she had to bring her own lunch. Every other family in that white school disenrolled their children for a period of time. So she went to school completely alone. Every single other teacher refused to teach her, except for one, a woman named Barbara Henry. And it didn't get any better in school or out of school. Her father lost his job. Her grandparents were sharecroppers, which means they lived on a chunk of land and they farmed that land. They gave all of the (laughs) profits to, to the person who owned the land, but they were able to eke out a living that way. They were evicted. They were fired and removed from that land. Her mother, when she went to the grocery store, her mother was denied being able to purchase groceries the hardship on that entire family was real. Two days after all of the white families um, boycotted, two days later, a United Methodist pastor named Lloyd Foreman broke the boycott and brought his child. And then that began the process through which um, others would start bringing their children. That was all in 1960. In 1962, Norman Rockwell released this photo called What We All Face. When Norman Rockwell paints a picture of you, you know it's significant. Ruby went on to be a successful adult. She had a career, she had children. She received an honorary doctorate 
There were books and songs written about her. She started her own personal foundation for the values of tolerance, respect, and appreciation of all differences. In 2001, she received the Presidential Citizens Medal, which is the second highest honor a civilian can receive. There is a elementary school named after her. She is a public speaker, but she talks more about the grace she received in the midst of that adversity than she talks about the adversity. Certainly she doesn't skirt away from what she faced, the hateful, yelling, threatening. She said the worst day was when um, she was walking and she noticed that a woman had fashioned a coffin out of a set of boxes and then put a black doll in it. It's that kind of hatred that's very real in this world. And yet, she carried on. She talks about the grace that she received, how the community wrapped their arms around her, how people in the community stepped forward and gave her grandparents and her father a job, and how they secured her future, how they, especially her parents, stood with her and the strength of that standing together. I revisit it, I revisit this because it's the perfect story, the perfect analogy to be in step with what happened to Mary as she stood at the foot of the cross. The scorn, the hate, the danger in that space was real. So I want to encourage you to Take a look at this text. You can open to 990 in your pew Bible. You know, through this series, we've been investigating and looking at the courage Jesus exhibited as he walked to the cross. This is the one time as we get to the end of the series that we're going to look at the courage someone else faced, and that is Mary, right? Um, when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out years ago, right, uh, folks struggled with that because uh, it was by design that the violence was just over the top to make the point of uh, Jesus accepting punishment for the sin of the world, which is great. But the other part of that movie that I thought really captured, um, that made us equally uncomfortable, but I think really captured the essence of what it would have been like at the cross was just how out of control everything was, right? There wasn't the same kind of law and order that we have and everything was just chaos. It was just out of control. And the, the movie makes us uncomfortable in that way. But that is real. That is how it would have been, right? Anyone who was associated with the person who was crucified or the movement of theirs anyone associated with them would have faced the same sentence, the same judgment that the person on the cross had faced. So the danger was real. I mean, let's think about Peter, right? We know that text pretty well where um, Peter's standing in the courtyard after Jesus gets taken and two young maidens, people who would have no ability to make any kind of statement towards a man. They wouldn't have even been allowed to talk to him. They utter a word to him and he crumbles basically to his emotional knees 
being so wrapped in his fear. And the reason for that is because the fear was real, right? There's a reason why they crucified people on the road right at the edge of town. So that when you walked into town and you were new to town, they were like, be good or that could be you. That's why they did it that way. And that's why there's real danger. Because that is what happened. If you were associated with the one who did that, that could be you. So it's in that context of all of this that I want us to look again at this text. Because the words that Jesus says to Mary, many people have interpreted as harsh, right? He says in verse 26, the second half of it, woman, here is your son. Now, you know, we hear that as derogatory. It oftentimes gets used as derogatory, like woman, you know, get me my supper, you know, kind of thing, right? That gets used that way. And it's not right. And so to hear that potentially come out of Jesus' mouth is hard for us. But here's why he chose his words carefully. Here's what matters. He uses the word gune. And gune is a title, kind of honorable madam. But what he's really saying is the esteemed matriarch, right? So it is an honorable title he's using for her. And while he's not being disrespectful, he's honoring her by saying that that still feels like a disconnect to us because, you know, when he talked about God as heavenly father, he said, Abba, he said, daddy. So why, if he's calling God the father, daddy, why is he looking down at his mother and calling her esteemed matriarch? Well, the reason would be because of the danger. He was making sure that she would not be attributed to him because she could have gotten taken away on the spot. And so when he says, woman, here is your son, and son, here is your mother, he's actually doing a legal transaction because no woman had any rights apart from the man she was connected to. And if Mary, having her husband long since passed away, is what is believed, if Mary wouldn't have had anybody to attach to, she would have been in trouble. So he was ensuring that this, pass, that this passing of the rights took place. Jesus is basically dotting the I's and crossing the legal T's to make sure that his mother was cared for and was not in any imminent danger. So that's one piece. Another interesting aspect is uh, right at the beginning of what we heard. And we kind of just pass over it and we don't think much of it. Where it says in verse 25b, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and Mary's mother's sister and Mary, the wife of Clopas, Clopas and Mary Magdalene. The word standing there, we just kind of gloss over. Right? We kind of see Mary as usually portrayed as crumpled on the ground, broken, rent asunder by all that she was seeing and all that she was experiencing. That isn't what the text says. That may even have happened at some point, but that's certainly not what the text says, that she's standing. The word um, histemi actually means a posture to stand upright. So she wasn't crunched, she wasn't floundering, she was standing. Matter of fact, 
metaphorically, it means that much more, that she's actually leaning into, that she's in solidarity with. It means to take a stand. So Mary's not there broken and in a heap. She's not there because she's got no place else to go. She is standing in solidarity with her son. So again, we need to just rest for a minute. Usually thinking about the courage that Jesus faced going to the cross of the amazing courage that we're seeing from Mary right now in this space. But then we have to come to a better understanding, maybe a more full understanding of what courage is. And this is where Pastor Tom Berlin helps us, right? He, in his book, um, gives us the etymology, the word origin of the word courage. And that, the word courage comes from core, which is a Latin word, which means center or heart. We can kind of go to that next one, I think. There you go. And it also comes from the French, courage, which again is that same thing. It's the heart. It's the seed of emotion is what courage means. If you're familiar with the French language, they will oftentimes wish you bon courage, right? They'll say, have a good heart, right? They're not wishing you cardiovascular success, right? right. They're saying, be of good heart, right? Be, be rooted in the center. It's, it's the root and the core of our feeling so that the very core of you be good. Peace at the very heart of who you are. And this is the type of courage that we see in Mary. Because again, she's not at the foot of the cross, crumpled and broken. She's standing there in solidarity with her son because he is at her heart. You know, we, we, uh, we think of courage as being an act of bravery in today's world. And that's actually a later add or interpretation of the word courage. The word courage is actually means to be connected to by heart. And so when we see Mary doing this act of courage, it's sure absolutely an act of bravery, but it's as much where else would she be? Her heart is right before her and she needed to be there at the place of her heart. Tom Berlin ends kind of towards the end of his book tells a story and uh, he has this phrase as a part of the story which is let your faith be bigger than your fear that's my hope for you that's honestly what I would hope for each and every one of you that your faith would be bigger than your fear we talk about what it means to be unfaithful and that a lack of faith the opposite of faith is not bad knowledge <laughs> or even I refuse to believe. The opposite of faith is fear. And so my hope for you is that whatever you are afraid of, that you will have greater fear than faith. That's really the walk 
to the cross, is to put to death our fears and have greater faith in the midst of them. To stand in, to lean in to that faith and to stand together in leaning into that faith. One last story about um, Ruby Bridges. Ruby and Barbara Henry developed a great friendship with her teacher. They kept in touch over the years. Uh, They actually would speak together at times. They each spoke publicly about the interactions that they had and to tell the story of that broken portion of our nation's history. And there's a story that Barbara Henry tells about little Ruby Bridges at six years old. She saw her walking, she was looking out the window, saw her walking into class or into school. And as she was walking into school with people yelling and screaming and raging at her with hate spilling over, she saw that Ruby's lips were moving. And so when she got into school, Barbara took her aside and said, Ruby, I saw that your lips were moving. What, 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 what were you saying to the people? I couldn't understand. What were you saying to the people as you passed by them? And she said, I wasn't speaking to them. I was praying for them. May your faith be greater than your fear. And may you have the same faith as Ruby and as Mary. Be courageous, dear friends.